The Theonauts, episode 90. Hold on to your wontons, folks. This may get interesting. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hey all you Theonies out there, I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The Theonauts. And we have another special episode. Yeah. Because we have on our, uh, as a guest in our virtual studio, Brian Gadawa. Woo. Hey, Brian. Hey. How are you doing? <laughs> Good, man. Awesome. Good. It's yeah. always exciting to have Brian back yeah, on the Yeah, studio. what is this, like the... Uh, third time. Third time? I think it's third time. I don't know. I wasn't there for one of them. You remember that? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I missed out. But yeah, third time, I think. So, so. It may, may even be the fourth. I don't know, man. <laughs> We've done too many Well, episodes. we enjoy the books anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cool. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. So always a pleasure to have you back on uh, the Theonauts with us and to get into some very interesting... Biblical historical thoughts uh, that may shock and appall some people, and then get others <laughs> yes. excited. So, yes, pretty indeed. cool. And that's it's always cool because, uh, like, this whole vein of study is like outside the box. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, dude, it's out, it's outside my theological box, <laughs> and, I, and I'm writing it. Yeah. <laughs> I've I, I've loved this whole stuff for for years. Uh, Recently went through uh, some of the uh, book of Jasher and was rereading some of this stuff. And it's like, wow, uh, it's just very fascinating, <laughs> fascinating stuff. Yeah. Well, so. well, somebody who hasn't actually read the book of Enoch yet, that hasn't really gotten into <clears throat> it. Your books have been really like driving me to go and search this stuff out, which, which <laughs> is pretty exciting to me. So I was teaching a Bible study. Uh, let's see two weeks ago with a whole bunch of youth and we were, we were walking through Genesis one through 15. We're we're walking through the Bible. And so we get to the Nephilim part and I just go off on this stuff. I'm like, and this is really, this is some interesting stuff. And you know, the looks that I got, some of the kids are like, what? I've never heard this in my life. You know, it's crazy. So anyways, but yeah. So thanks a bunch for writing the books. They're awesome, Brian. We love them. Yeah, man. And you, you put these things out. Like very quickly, like faster than I can read them. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. I tell some of my friends I'm writing faster than they can read because I'm still, <laughs> you know, ahead of them in terms of books versus how many they've read. Sure. Come on, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and you even like record the audio, like yeah. the, the, uh, the audible books. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, uh, well, you know, it is my full time job. So, you know, let's, let's, I'll admit that. But, uh, <laughs> and I'm, and, and it, quite frankly, I'm grateful to God that, that it is because I'd never anticipated it to be the case. Sure. But it's just proven to, um, you know, it's just been, a, it's become a blessing. They, they've been selling really well. Awesome. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. How's it, how's it doing on, uh, Google right now? Are you still well, up there? Amazon or, or Amazon? Yeah. Amazon. Right, well, Amazon. you know, 
okay, my Chronicles of the Nephilim, which is not what we're talking about today, but it's right, sort correct. of the opening volley of this whole um, paradigm that I'm writing under, the Watcher paradigm, I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Chronicles of the Nephilim, there's eight books, and you know, as you guys know, that um, I basically am retelling all the Bible stories that have giants and watchers in them. And I'm sort of doing it in a creative way with a little bit of fantasy to show the spiritual reality. And it's kind of like reading my books are like watching, uh, you know, an epic uh, fantasy type movie. And um, all eight books have dominated the top 20, at least in Amazon, um, uh, in the biblical fiction category, and sometimes the top 10. So um, mostly the top 10, actually. And then there's a few in in the rest of the top 20. So, you know, still this day after five years when i first started it that's the case and that that says something you that's, know, that says that's people, more than one book a year dude yeah yeah it's two books a year wow <laughs> that's pretty amazing and 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 that would be that would be impressive enough if it was just a simple story yes but no dude you've got all this crazy um uh research that <laughs> uh-huh. went into uh-huh. all of these things <laughs> oh, boy, the worst, you know, the worst thing about it is like the new book that I'm working on after the Dragon King, which we'll talk about uh, mm-hmm. some other time, but I'm footnoting it and it is the most, it is the most research I've ever provided, but I know people are going to want it. So, Ooh. because this what happened is you know, now that you brought that up, the Chronicles of the Nephilim were, have been very, um, people have really shined, take a shining to the fact that I put an appendix at the end of each book that gives the research and uh, biblical and historical research behind the fiction. Because when I first was doing it, I thought, these stories are so wild, and this stuff that I'm coming up <laughs> yeah. with is so wild. People are going to go, he, where did he make that up? <laughs> right, and I'm yeah. like, well, I'm actually not very creative. Pretty much most everything that's in my books, uh, I, I get from some other ancient source. Yeah, I draw from legends. I draw from uh, you know other mythologies as well as the Bible, and and I sort of integrate them all in a in a in a total biblical worldview. And I'm doing that with the Dragon King as well, this new book. But it's kind of a, a different take. But my point is, is that everyone loves the research. Many people have said. You know, I, I I love the appendix as much as the novel, and so you know, it's the kind of thing where I realize this next series I'm going to do is is going to require the most amount of research. But interestingly, <laughs> this new book, The Dragon King, um, I chose not to show the research this time. I oh and, wow yeah, and some people were kind of complaining. Some of my fans were complaining. So you know, because <laughs> basically, I write theological novels. Yeah, which which means. I like to do. I like to have it based in history, but I like to bring in some imagination. Um, but I really like to, you know, make it connect with real research, and be theologically deep, because yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I. That's what I need for myself. But I've I've come to realize though that uh, not a lot of people. There's not as many people like that. A lot of people prefer good entertainment. Uh, you know, uh, exciting adventure, whatever. And I love, I love all that too, but I need to have the depth in it. But as it turns out, I, I really believe even people who, who are, who want more just entertainment, they don't want theology or they don't, you know, they don't want a strong message necessarily. I think they really do. They just don't realize that what makes the best storytelling, what makes the best epics what makes the best fantasy is stuff that has a rich undercurrent of a worldview to it. Yes, and I think yes. that some people just don't realize that. And I'm not calling them ignorant. I'm just saying, you know, 
we don't all realize that. So I've found that putting my heart and soul and theology into, into it does not lessen the entertainment value of it. In fact, it only makes it well, that it, much It more makes it deeper and richer. So like, for example, uh, it's, to me, it's really fun. Like if I'm reading through your books and I read something I'd never heard before, you know, mm-hmm. because then I start thinking, okay, wait a minute, is this is this Brian's creation or is this got some historical reality to yeah. it? And then of course, yeah. then I go look it up and I'm like, wow, that's there. That really happened. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, with, no, that's uh, like for example, the whole one. the whole Abraham being at the Tower of Babel thing, because you yeah. never think about that in terms of the Bible yeah. itself, because it goes. It's chapterized, right? I mean, we've right. It, uh, uh, Jerome broke it into these little bite-sized pieces for us. So you got yeah. Tower of Babel, chapter eleven of Genesis, chapter twelve, Abraham. Abraham yeah. So we're thinking, <laughs> okay, different story now. But right. yeah, yeah. But whenever you go to like the Book of Jasher, you start seeing more depth in there. That no, this really was, you know, wow, the same contemporary. I mean, it was contemporary with each other. Uh, yeah, so. and maybe maybe Abraham may have uh, known Nimrod since, after all, he's you know Abraham started in Ur, which was in Mesopotamia, which is where Babylon was before he went over into uh, you know into Canaan. And so right. yeah, and, and you know there are things like satyrs, you know the like satyrs you know, with uh, human beings with the uh, uh, the legs of a goat, goat and right. horns. You know that shows up in the Bible. People don't realize that, right? <laughs> well, the, Lilith, Lilith, which is a famous sort of she demon, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, shows up in the Bible in a way that many people don't realize, and and yeah, so I put all these things in there, and I, you're right, there are a lot of people who go, wow, where'd you, you know, you got to be making this stuff up, and especially when you're writing stories that are connected to the Bible, because look, a lot of Christians, you know, and I have a high view of scripture as well, and a lot of, you know, you, Christians don't want you playing too much with the Holy Spirit, and I I respect that, sure, and that's is why I started providing the research because I just wanted people to know that you know I, I am basing this on real stuff and and I knew that they would appreciate that so but I didn't realize how much they would appreciate it and that's been great yeah that's that's really cool so uh, speaking of your research and, and basing this off of, off of uh, biblical things as well as uh, historic uh, historical accounts um, where did you come up with moving to the Orient coming up with the Chronicles? of the Watchers and the, the Dragon King. Where'd that come from? Yeah, well, you know, after writing the whole eight books of Chronicles of the Nephilim, I'm like, you know, maybe I'm done for with that for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but actually, so what happens is that this, uh, I've got a friend at, at my church, goes to my church with me, Charlie Wen, and and he was reading my novels and he was really enjoying them. And I, and, and I found out that Charlie, uh, at the time, was the visual director of Marvel Studios. Right. And this, and by the way, this is the guy who he actually started the visual department. He wow. created, That's and so he amazing. led in creating the visual look for most of the movies that you know your your audience is going to know. Whether it's the Avengers, Iron Man, uh, Captain America, Thor, Guardians of the Galaxy, he was involved in all those. Now he's he's no longer working there. He's on his own, but. He was there for, for quite a few years, developed all that stuff. So this guy's like a, a visual genius and a wow. great artist. Yeah, he is. I, I mean, I'm a huge Marvel fan. I mean, I have my picture with Stan Lee and, you know, his signature and all this stuff. And so <laughs> when I whenever I read that your co-collaborator is one of the, the Marvel guys with the studios, I just went, whoa, I mean, this has got to be awesome. And the visual, you're right, the visual... Um, 
creations that he 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 did are just outstanding. Well, so I, I really saw a couple of that. the character development art that he did for the book. Yes, that, yeah. <laughs> that that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, if you go to the website. Um, you just go to Gadawa.com and go uh, to Dragon King, and you'll find uh, artwork that he did. He didn't have a lot of time, unfortunately, to do that. But see, because see, he and I uh, developed the story together, and then I wrote the novel, and then. Our goal was was to create a property. We were actually originally started to to write it for uh, a screenplay, and he was gonna, you know, or maybe a graphic novel, and he would do the drawing. But he got really, really busy in terms of the visuals; didn't have time to to work on it. So we worked on the story, and while we were developing the story for the script, we realized we we Charlie came to me. You know, let me go back. Charlie came to me and he said, you know, he after, after he liked my novels, he said, you know what? Let, you know, we were talking about we should work on a project together, and we we're just talking about. It. He goes, you know what? I've always wanted to do is the story of the first emperor of China, because that's <laughs> that comes from his own heritage and stuff. And I'm like, well, wow, that's cool. Tell me about it. And and his interest in it was not just because it's his heritage, but he found he felt that there was a spiritual connection even to the Bible, because he said, you know, um, he, the first emperor was around 200 B.C. And this guy was known as a tyrant, actually. Uh, even Chinese people understand him. He was a tyrant. But he, he also did a lot of good things. He, he unified China for the first time in a thousand years. They had been uh, a warring feudal states for, for, you know, for a millennium, right? Mm-hmm. And finally, there was peace. Uh, he, he brought a, a single language, sort of a single currency. He built the Great Wall. So a lot of your audience actually probably knows more about him than they realize. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And if, if you've ever seen the documentaries, he's the guy who who created those terracotta soldiers that they had thousands of them buried in the ground in China, and they found them, right? Gotcha. This is the guy who did that. And so he did a lot of – he actually brought some good and he brought some bad. And this guy was also in a pursuit of the elixir of immortality. I kid you not. <laughs> so he really was. I was wondering if that yes. was a – wow. Yes. Yes, wow. in fact, all the stuff that happens in my novel, The Dragon King, it's based on what really happened. Now, again, I did, we pushed the envelope a little bit, and it may have become fantasical, but uh, like, for instance, we have him, you know, I won't, I won't go into what happens in the end, but <laughs> the, the end where he's searching after the giant sea serpent, let's just say that actually is part of his story. Maybe not as fantastical as my version, but it actually was a part of the end of his life. So this guy is wow. searching for mortality. Wow, that's and cool. you know, and but he's also a wicked king, and the problem is, is all of his his swords, you know, his mag- magicians were trying to, um, you know, create it through herbs and through whatever, and and just through natural means, and they discuss they happened upon the fact that arsenic, they believed that arsenic, little teeny amounts of like arsenic and mercury and other substances would actually enhance your life and give you longevity. <laughs> and so they were feeding the emperor these little uh, oh, wow. doses of, <laughs> of mercury. So it, it was making him go insane, actually. He was going mad, and they didn't know <laughs> it. Wow. So this is just a, this is just a part of it. But, but Charlie said, he goes, you know what? Right around this time period was when two things happened. One is um, uh, that the, the use of the dragon became a ubiquitous symbol of China. It had always been sort of used occasionally with some emperors and such. But it was never the ubiquitous symbol that that it became after this first emperor. And as a Christian, you know, he said, he said, you know, the dragon obviously is not a good image. It connects up to the serpent in the garden. And I wonder what kind of connection there is there. Right. Right. And then he said he said that before this time period, 
uh, ancient Chinese people actually worshipped a single god without images. And this is highly, highly unique because if you know anything about ancient history, everybody's gods had pantheons of gods. There was no single god, and they all had pantheons of gods, right. and they all worshipped images except for one religion. And what was that? The Hebrews, right? right. Yeah. So wow. there's this connection, and the, and the Chinese Christians believe that, that uh, well, well, this is when I jumped into the discussion. I said, Charlie... I've actually read a little bit about that, and I, I was reading books that some Christians are saying that they believe that they go back to the Tower of Babel, their connections do, when the, when the nations dispersed on the land, see, and that they kept a little bit more of a, a pure version of the original understanding of Yahweh, but it got corrupted over the years as well, right? <coughs> right. But nevertheless, they had this, and then their language also showed that a thousand years before they ever even had contact, or not a thousand, thousands of years before they had contact with the West and with the Bible, their ancient pictorial language, which their which means their language was uh, uh, pictures, right? Right. It shows. Res- I I read books on this stuff before I even met Charlie, and he heard a little bit about it too. And I said, you know, I heard that their language reflects uh, truths from Genesis. It reflects. Yeah. The- See, I was I was looking at that. I was going to ask you about this actually to see if this is part of what your inspiration was, because um, I've seen this study too. That you know, like the, the 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 picture of create comes from a combination of like uh, what is it, dust and breath, and you know all the things yeah. that that yeah. actually happened when God created man. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. And wow. the word for ship is a boat with eight people in it. And that's, of course, Noah's Ark. Noah had uh, <laughs> eight people who survived, right? Right. And the word the word for tempter is like a snake in a garden with two trees. So, And, and this was all long before they ever had contact with the Bible. That's amazing. So, yeah. So there are these amazing little connections. And we just thought, well, that's interesting. Let's see if we can, you know. Oh, and then that's when I, I realized, I told Charlie, I, I started thinking about this. And I said, Charlie... And I told him about the Watcher paradigm. Well, of course, he already knew about the Watcher paradigm because he was reading my novels. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? This whole thing with the dragon, I think that the, I think that this connects with the Watcher paradigm. So we started developing it that. And it wasn't, you know, it actually was going to just be a standalone novel. And it still operates. The Dragon King can be read as a standalone novel. But we realized that it probably could be a part of a, a series of these Watcher stories where, you know, the Watcher gods over the nations and and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but then as we were developing the story, thinking that first it was going to be a script, we, we, f- we found some more amazing connections to the Bible that we did not even think were there. Didn't, <laughs> didn't I realize that as we were developing the story, in fact, some of the, I can't tell, we can't tell this to the audience because it's the, some key plot points. Okay. We were trying to solve key plot points near the end of the story. And I, I just said, well, let's see if we can find anything in the Bible that we can match up with that for fun. And we stumbled upon the most amazing connections that 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 can go back to the Bible uh, theologically. And so we realized at that point that, you know what, if we write this as a script, no matter how cool, it, I, I, we'd be afraid of selling it because we know that Hollywood would probably rape it and take out all this, yeah. you know, take out all the biblical stuff in there, of you course, know? Of course, yeah. I mean, you know, you know Hollywood <laughs> is making some good Bible movies. I'm not going to deny that, but in general, they, you know, I know too many friends who've who've sold their ideas and had the spirituality raped out of it. And it's just like, you know what? Let's get our version out first. And that's when we decided, you know what? 
let's write the novel because that can get done. And then we could, you know, maybe try to sell it as a property for a script. So we actually wrote that. I wrote the novel to, to, to be read like, like you're watching a movie. And that's why it's one of the sh- more shorter of my novels, as well as the fact that I don't put the appendix in there for the research. But, but, uh, so it reads really quickly. It reads like watching a movie. And we wanted to, we wanted to sort of tell one of these East meets West stories, you know, where you've got the two cultures. Sure. Right. And, you know, for want of a better word, it, it fits the multicultural uh, uh, era that we live in, in the sense that, you know, we, we have uh, uh, the East and the West cultures, and we are not condemning either of them or elevating either of them, We're actually being honest with, with uh, what is good and bad in both of them. And the reason why is because we believe that between the two kingdoms, East and West, there's a higher kingdom, right? Yeah. And so um, that, that is higher than both of them. Amen. And, That's right. Yeah. So so that was kind of our our, uh, our starting point. And, and that's where we, we launched into. And, and so we said, well, we tell if we just told this Chinese story, then it may not be as interesting to Westerners. So how can we? And, and Charlie, but Charlie said, you know, I don't want to do this story where the Chinese are the bad guys, you know. And I'm like, well, I, <laughs> well, I said, Charlie, sense, I, I'm okay with that, but I don't want to tell a story where the West is the bad guy because <laughs> well, that's what Hollywood movies are all about, right? Yeah. So true. we both we both come at it with this understanding. But hey, we're 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 both Christians, and so we know that there's a higher kingdom, and that. That's what right. enables us to be able to see the good and bad in both of the kingdoms. Well, and, I was going to ask you uh, about uh, your your choice of of, of characters. Uh, your your primary character, the uh, protagonist of the story, is Antiochus, right? Yep. Now, is this the same Antiochus that uh, that uh, we know from history was part of the um, uh, Maccabean revolt and all that? No. Okay. No, this is, this is. Um, however, you're 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 very close. We so we thought, well, how can we, you know, the 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 China, the emperor of China, the empire of China, had not had contact with the West until like you know the first century or something like that. Right, right, right. For a couple hundred years, so it's like, how are we going to tell the story? So we had to tell a fictional story. Like, what if we could get someone from the Western Empire to go on a journey, and he, you know, he he finds his way to China for a particular reason. And, and so what was, well, what's going on around 200 BC? And lo and behold, it was the time of Antiochus the Great, who was the Greek emperor over Babylon and Mesopotamia. Now, Antiochus the Great was the father of the, the, the guy you're thinking of, Antiochus Epiphanes, who right. went on uh, a, a bad guy. So our character, Antiochus, is an imagined son, although it's actually based on some possibilities, but... He, our character is fictional. What if he had another son by a uh, by a concubine that wasn't legitimate, and that son goes on this redemptive journey? And we came up with with the idea that in our logline was basically okay. It's two two hundred BC. The ancient Western Empire is crumbling in the West. Right. In a desperate bid to save his throne, the Greek king over Babylon decides to send his own son a dishonored warrior into the mysterious land of the far East to capture a mythical creature that will give him absolute power, <laughs> a, dra- a dragon, right? Yes. So that's, that's sort of the premise of the whole story of East meets West. So we call it East eats West. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> nice, nice. So mythical creature, a dragon, gives him absolute power. Can you go into a little bit more detail there, or are you going to give sure, away anything sure. if you do that? Well, we, you know, <laughs> again, part of the, um, the the discovery of the or the contrast of the east and west. You know, in the west, uh, our under our sort of mythology of dragons is more like big old dinosaurs that breathe fire, right? Yeah, sure, Arthurian. Yeah. yeah, Arthurian. But in the east, their notion of dragons are more like large, long serpents with little teeny legs on them. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. they're more like flowing and they're water oriented rather than fires. So oh, you can see a right. real massive difference going on there, right? Like Miyazaki's artwork and stuff. Uh, yes. Hi, yes, I'm Miyazaki. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, I have no clue who you're talking about. Spirited Away. You ever seen Spirited Away? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm too much West. Sorry. <laughs> there, so, so it's definitely more fluid, fluid notion of the dragon, more water oriented, etc. But it's still a dragon, and we think that there's a spiritual connection between the two of them, and we, you know, so we basically they're going to find something that they're not anticipating what it's going to be like, and it's a more spiritual reality than they they realize. Sure. But in the in the in the in the time being. This Antiochus, who's the Greek hero, he stumbles into this empire and he discovers, of course, the concubine of the emperor, one of the one of the many concubines of the emperor. Right. <laughs> right. And he falls in love. So we have probably my best romance of all my novels. Oh, it's, it's really? A, yeah, it's it, yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. I think it's a wonderful romance. And um, but also he he brings along someone from his from the West to help him. And that's a magi and uh. see because at this time in the west the the emperor of the empire of babylon well you know the city of babylon was basically sort of like the slums of of detroit you know it was it was uh, it was the the ruins of a, a once great civilization right and there were people who lived there but it, it wasn't really big anymore and and but there were still magi and the magi were sort of like the wise men of babylon who were, did the religious, they did astrology, they did magic, they did alchemy, but they also, uh, you know, did the knowledges and the sciences as well. So, And they were probably students of Daniel. Exactly. Or right. at least their, their, you know, Daniel was several hundred years earlier, Correct. but Daniel had influenced the Magi so much that by the time of Christ, they were looking for Messiah. So right. this is really cool, right? So you've got this guy, who's, he's not a... He's not a, a Hebrew or believes in the Bible, but he's he's been taught a lot of truths from the Bible. He goes with this Greek guy into the into the Far East, and and we we and we find out that there's actually a lot of commonalities and sim similarities between them spiritually as well as mythologically, and um, uh, so of course what happens is that uh, this this emperor is going mad, right? And he's on the search for the elixir of immortality. And he holds them hostage because the Magi might be able to help him find the elixir of immortality, right? Uh, oh, and, wow. And then Antiochus is falling in, in forbidden love with the concubine. Right. <laughs> and then, lastly, you know, there's this huge uprising of people because the emperor was a, a, a an abusive tyrant. And he was basically enslaving his own people to build the, not only the Great Wall of China— where many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died building it. Right. But they were building him a huge uh, uh, tomb in his name and in his honor. And guess what? And that tomb still exists today under sure. a mound of earth in China. 
But guess what that tomb basically was? A ziggurat. <laughs> so this and and this is all this is all based on true research. And wow. so again, you've got this connection to the Tower of Babel and Babylon mm-hmm. and all this stuff going on. And, and, and for so, for re, for um, for people who haven't read your other books, the ziggurats play a big part in the story because that's where that's what the watchers. That's that's yes. like their little. Uh, that's where they they ha- they hang out. <laughs> yeah, that's where they hang out. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. yeah. the cosmic mountains. <laughs> there we of go. Religion yeah. and such, and so um, and of course inside and, and this is true too that inside that tomb the emperor had built it was like a a microcosm of the earth was was inside his tomb he you know because he really wanted to live forever and be a god and all this kind of stuff so. And, and, Matt, and of course, they had they believed in gods at, in China at the time. Like I said, he suppressed the worship of the the one god who the Chinese the name for that was Shangdi, and he suppressed that that and brought brought in the pantheon of gods. So I believe that that he was probably driven by a spiritual some kind of spiritual connection there to the watchers some, and some demonic yeah yeah, yeah demonic yeah. yeah wow wow that's amazing huh. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't want so to tell too much. I don't want to reveal too much. Yeah, we're sitting here like 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 little kids listening to a bedtime story or whatever. We're but yeah, <laughs> on the other hand, it's like you know, believe me, if I told everybody basically what happens, they would still love it because it's so it's such a wild romp. And like I said, it it, it goes deep into um, into theology and the underlying sort of worldview for those who want to go deeper. And that's, that's my goal in, in all these stories. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Do you have, hmm. (laughs) I'm looking through here. Uh, what, um, what can you, can you just tell me right now how you're doing with uh, the Chronicles of the Apocalypse real quick? I I was was reading that while I was, (laughs) Oh man, I am, I am, oh, I have put more time, I'm putting more time, more energy, more effort, more, more theological foundation to this next series called Chronicles of the Apocalypse. And it's basically, it is the sequel to Chronicles of the Nephilim and Chronicles of the Watchers, which is what the Dragon King, that's sort of like a different series. So I've kind of got two series at once that I'm working on, but Chronicles (laughs) of the Apocalypse is going to be footnoted and I'm going to have more text in my footnotes that are in than are in the the actual novel itself, and the reason why is because what people are going to read that they probably never heard this, read this stuff before, and they're going to think this is this can't be this is wild this is you know yeah let me guess uh, CERN opens up a hole Nimrod comes out and yeah. <laughs> bam no it's actually a different view than than than, than what many people think but it. I'm telling the story of um, the the fall and destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. when uh, Nero sent his armies. The awesome. To conquer it. Oh, and, cool. Well, so wait a minute. That, Is this going to have like a, a preterist uh, take on it? That's, well. That's cool. <laughs> and, well, so. So what I do is I, I tell Michael's going to love this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling the story of the of the neuronic persecution of, of Christians and the first martyrdom of the church, and of course that's very relevant to today, right? Oh, yeah. As Christians are now being persecuted not only by Muslims all over the world, but in America, Christians are now the new um, victim that are going to be per- that are already being persecuted 
by by you know everyone, and it's just going to get worse. Now I'm not I'm not going into future prophecy. I'm going into the past. And I'm showing this is the time period where where the persecution started, and this is the time period where all the apostles were martyred, and the apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. Oh, that's and, cool because we you, we don't need another Left Behind series. Nope, nope. Yeah, this will this will be a it will be a preterist Left Behind. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's great. One of the reasons I wanted to ask you that is because okay, so I've gotten in, into a lot of conspiracy theory kind of stuff with the, with the whole Nephilim thing, and so like yeah. the, the whole One World Order. Have you heard like Have you studied any of that kind of stuff? Like people yes. are saying. So I, I am familiar with that. Okay. And, and yes, I am. What do you? What's your take on that? If I could ask. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I know some of these guys, and I I go on on some of the show podcasts of. Of uh, several guys, I love them. You know, like Josh Peck and Derek Gilbert. Yeah, and I love these guys, and 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 uh, and they really enjoy my work too. Um, I I have a different view, but here's the thing. You know, in general, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. I'm I'm I I'm very skeptical of conspiracy theories. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm first, you know, very very highly skeptical of most of them. Now the problem is, I I'm angry because I feel like we now live in a conspiracy theory uh, era where everything, you know, people will believe everything. Right. Because, because I, I don't know, I think it's because maybe TV and movies and the arts have just so, so entrenched them in fiction that they don't care about what really happens anymore. Anything that sounds fascinating, they'll believe. And, and so I believe that we're in a very dangerous time that people will believe anything. They'll believe a lie. Do you almost, However, do you that al- ruins it for the real conspiracies because I do believe <laughs> I believe that there could be, you know, that there are people who are conspiring and, and such. I just don't believe in the big, vast conspiracies. But here's the thing. Despite that, and despite the fact that I do not personally uh, think that a lot of the Bible prophecies are relevant to some future Antichrist, I don't agree with that. However... I still believe there are that the world is evil, and a lot of the, a lot of this stuff that these guys are researching. Like I just watched, for instance, Tom Horn's documentary *Inhuman*, and he yes. basically examines this the whole pursuit of transhumanism, which I completely agree and believe that these people are really trying to transcend humanity, and they're doing stuff and genetic splicing, and they're engaging in a pursuit of the self-deification of man. And I believe that there <clears> is. I do believe there's a lot of people who would like to have one world government or so global socialism. So I believe yeah. this stuff is out there. I believe there's evil people doing it. And I believe that it's just as dangerous, even if it's not fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where, you know, uh, you know, we've had, um, I had a friend of mine co-host the show, you know, one time he's all into this type of study. Like he's read all of Tom Horn's stuff and, yeah. And and all that, and uh, and that's why I brought up the CERN thing because CERN has been like last last year. It was like September twenty third is going to be the end of the world. They're going to turn <laughs> yeah. the CERN on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's the problem I have, and that's what that's my next my next journey uh, <clears throat> of books uh, and stuff. I'm going to go into into a lot of how maybe pro- basically Bible prophecy, and it's going to be it's going to blow a lot of people away, and and um. So it's going to be, uh, yeah, quite quite a romp. But I, yeah, that, that's cool. Have Have you read any of um, uh, the Hank Hanegraaff 
No. Uh, Last Disciple. No, have you? Yes. Uh, they're actually pretty interesting, too. They're along those same lines. They're not going to be as fantastical as yours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but 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 it's about it's his left behind it's his preterism left behind type of that I'm story. Ju- I know I know that exists and I'm jealous because uh, I know I think those have been around for ten years and I I so I can't say no one's done this before I'm so bummed yeah I'm so bummed but really what he's probably only one I'm mean, right yes yes I, and, oh, and they weren't very popular I don't think but yeah uh, well mine will be popular dude <laughs> <laughs> these are these are gonna kick butt they are gonna change the face of Bible prophecy. I'm well, telling you. I certainly hope so. You know, it it's been this uh the whole dispensationalism has been, had such a hold on yeah. on on mainstream yeah. Christianity for such a long time right. that whenever anybody mentions anything different, most Christians have no clue that there's people yeah, that don't believe well, in rapture. That's because so. it's it's taught like it's fact. Right. Like yes. like, like Revelation reads like a manual <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. You know That's what it's going to so funny. And, and instead of thinking that there's any symbols or whatever involved. Well, well, right. look. You know, to me, the the thing that angered me when I was younger, when I first discovered this other viewpoint, was it wasn't that I was taught a viewpoint. It's that they taught it as if it was the only view. Like there was no other views. They they. I was literally withheld because these people know their other views, but they're saying, "Well, this is what the Bible says," and they didn't they didn't teach it honestly. Meaning. Even to this day, I firmly have my beliefs about my whole scene of eschatology in my mind. But I will admit and say there there are several major views that Christians, Orthodox Christians, hold to all three major views. And you've got to be fair in acknowledging that this is one viewpoint. That's right. right. But, but they never did that with me. And so when I discovered the other viewpoints, I've, I've basically been all the viewpoints. And, and so now <laughs> I'm at, I know a little bit from being in all of them. And, and so now I'm just, I, I got angry at the time because I felt like, I felt like they lied to me because they, they didn't tell me there were other viewpoints. Right. And why are they afraid? Why are they afraid of this? You know? So. Yeah. And I think, you know, with biblical prophecy, especially fear is a big part of that. You say, why, why are they afraid? And I, I think the worry that, you know, um, that because we can read and decipher scripture differently, that it, it makes it somehow not true, you know, yeah. or it makes yeah. it somehow uh, mute. It makes it subjective. Like <laughs> right. in, in people's mind, it makes the whole thing subjective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I hear it. I went, I've gone through all of those. I mean, I, there was a time where I believed my current views on prophecy were heresy. I mean, I believe they were heresy and now I believe them. Right. right. So if, you know, I think, I think what Christianity needs, it, I think the whole Christian church, particularly in America, really needs a little, a, a lot of humility we need to Amen. stop Amen. this absolutistic sort of like, you know, it's it's my view is right, and if you don't agree with every little damn point of my <laughs> my theology, yeah. then you're not really, you know, I can't fellowship with you. I mean, this is really this is terrible. Yes. Right, right, and it's something that you know we've been we've been talking about for two years now about unity. What? Yeah. Okay, so what? It's one of our what unifies us is Christ, right? Yes. That's what unifies us. And everything else, I mean, pretty much we need to study and, and be faithful in studying, but we don't need to hold to these doctrinal dogmas of man. So Yes, and you know, that, that's Isms what, and ist and yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I tried to find where I can agree with... That's why I say, like, because of my Nephilim series, here's the thing. I, because I've, I've uh, discovered something and I've got something in common with a bunch of other people... 
wow, this whole Nephilim thing, there's something very biblical about it. Um, uh, I think, I think normal conservative evangelical Christianity has brushed it under the rug out of fear because mm-hmm, it's too yeah. fantastic. It sounds too Gnostic or whatever. <laughs> they're fear, fear, fear that, and they're fearing the truth because, well, what if it's true? It's not a question of, well, I can't, I can't look into this because if it's true, then, then the, you know, the Bible's a myth or something like that. No. What if just, you know, the Bible's not what you thought it was. There's nothing wrong with changing your view. If it's holding the Bible as primary over your own beliefs, which means you must be willing to change your beliefs about the Bible if you discover it's wrong. And so because of that, I was willing to explore the whole Book of Enoch thing and the whole Nephilim thing. And, and I had to admit, you know, yeah, it's wild and, 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 and it's scary in some ways, but I'm convinced the Bible really talks about this. And so I'm not afraid to say that. Well, the guys who are into that happen to be guys who are also into the end times. Right, and so right. consequently, you know, that's, that's my audience and I'm selling to that, to that crowd. And so I tried to find, look, I, you know, let's not talk about the future. Are there going to be Nephilim cloned in the future? I said, I'm focusing on the past and the ancient past. <laughs> well, like the days of Noah, so shall the coming exactly, of the Son of Man be. Exactly. I'll be dealing with all that in the future, in the near future. But wow. right, right now I'm like, you know what, let's just deal with the ancient where we have something in common. And sure. that's what I've done. And I've told most of these guys, no, I said, you know what, you guys, I, I don't necessarily have that view, same viewpoint as you. So let's not talk about future stuff because I don't want to get into a debate. It's not the time for, for that. Right. Let's just focus on this. And so things have gone really well with all these guys. And I, I hope that when the next book comes out, uh, which is called Tyrant, Rise of the Beast, mm-hmm. um, I, hope that, I, hope my, I hope that that audience will still be open-minded enough to say oh wow well we don't agree with you but but it's another is a, take this is dang good storytelling yeah. <laughs> right, right. it's just another take on on um, yes. the understanding of it you know exactly and coming from somebody like like me who really never you know i knew there were giants i knew there was this thing nephilim i i took the whole idea of okay so this is probably talking about the sons of god that's definitely ancient kings that's who's that's talking about right, right. or the or the line of seth yeah it was know, just way too yeah. fantastical for me but somebody like me who actually picked this up and then you know interviewed you the first time and go what there's got to be something to this and then going back and seeing this research you know i'm i'm very grateful for these kind of books because it really it does it it opens your eyes to a whole other understanding and not only that but a whole reality of and, what happened. And in a fun way. Yeah. Like it's yes. not dry. It's it's yeah. action and adventure yeah, and all so. that. Well, let me tell you, so you guys, we should be talking about the Dragon King here, but you know, you, you're, you're making me spring off because here's what's happening. So I, this is what's so amazing to me because the, I've, I actually studied uh, eschatology for like 10 or 15 and and I was getting into I was I can't tell you the hundreds of hours I spent you know researching all this stuff and, and basically preterism versus the the common view which is premillennialism and stuff right and uh, and I, and you know even for all those years most people never even heard of this viewpoint so I couldn't even talk to them because they wouldn't even they couldn't even understand what I was saying it was really funny yeah people get really mad about it yeah 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 and and but also I I, I grow and change and I get interested in other things and I moved on you know but. All of a sudden, when I realized, oh my gosh, I've got to write a novel of all this theology I studied. Now is the time for it. So now I'm, I'm all of a sudden launching back into all those 10 years of theology are now being embodied in a story. Now that I'm a stronger storyteller than I was back then, which I was more theology oriented. So now it's like, okay, I want to embody my theology so people will be able to read my novels and 
get the theology and get the eschatology in a way that they could never, because most of them won't, will never read an eschatological, you know, theology, right? Right. Uh, wow. uh, or, or especially a, a one that, that that leans, you know, in a preterist type of absolutely. Direction. And 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 this way will sh- make it like you can when you try to explain to them, hey, you know, Matthew twenty four. Guess what? I can show you how pretty much everything Jesus prophesied <laughs> right. actually happened. happened. Well, I'm showing. I'm going to show it happen and show it connected in a way that they'll read it and they'll go. Oh, that makes sense, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, That's I think awesome. it'll, I, I I think my novels will do what the last twenty years of of the theologians have not been able to do. Mm-hmm. And by the way, these are the guys I read: Ken Gentry, Gary Demar, and these guys. You know, I, I, they're still they're still like you know uh, unknown at, at you know at, at large. And mm-hmm. and I'm like, they're only known now because uh, some of the guys are addressing them. The, the premillennialists are addressing them. But my point is, is I think my stories can bring, make that theology that Damar and Ken Gentry, the more orthodox reformed view of it, the, so I'm going to take their viewpoint and it's going <clears> to <throat> popularize it in a way that, that theology can't do. Yeah, and see, I, I'm thinking that's that's a great idea. Actually, whenever I read the Hank Hanegraaff fiction novels, I was thinking kind of the same thing. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be cool. I'm going to I'm going to grasp it in a way that's real because it's, I'm going to see it from a character's point of view. Yeah, uh, but un- I got it. I mean, I liked the books okay, but they were they were very dry. So it was like he chose the largest possible Roman names he could choose for every <laughs> for every one of his characters, and I couldn't remember which one was which, and it was very confusing. But uh, I did like how he how he um, he pulled in his eschatology into the 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 first century. Well, I guess I can still, I bet you I'll still be able to say no one's ever done it like this because uh, he probably didn't have watchers, did he? Oh, no. No, there was none of that. (laughs) Did he have the angels of the seven churches, literal angels? No, no, no. No, I didn't think so. (laughs) Well, guess what? I've got that, baby. And it it, it kicks butt. That's so awesome. Wow. That's cool. That's great. Well, we'll look forward to it. Definitely. All right. So the book's called Dragon King. They can get it on, where is it? Amazon? Amazon Amazon.com in audiobook, Kindle, or paperback. So I just got the audio version out now, and people have been loving that. And so everything's exclusively at Amazon. Awesome. And we've got a Kindle version, so I'll I'll email. It I can't again. wait to read it, man. I, you know, you've uh, you've been a blessing to us uh, as far as just reading and then soaking up this stuff and going back and checking it out and getting excited about it. And I'm I'm sure that uh, the next series is going to be great, uh, especially the Chronicles of the Watchers. So, dude. well, listen, if if anybody wants to check out more information on this, Gadawa.com is the repository website. I've got tons of. I actually got artwork. I, I cast every one of my novels. So you've got little pictures of the characters. Awesome. I've got f- artwork. I've got free scholarly articles, uh, tons of cool stuff. I wanted to make the website very, very helpful for anyone who wanted to learn more. And you can sign up for my newsletter and keep abreast of all the, all the stuff that I'm doing and get a lot of freebies, by the way. Um, so yeah, go to Godawa.com. You can, uh, check out all that stuff there. Definitely. Awesome. In fact, I'm reading an article right now, a scholarly article about, uh, the book of, uh, Enoch from you and it, it's, it's pretty eye opening. So yeah, go to Godawa.com. Is that, yep. Godawa.com yeah. and check it out there. That's awesome. So yeah. And we'll, we'll put links in the show notes on the, on the website. So cool. And everything. So, um, well, I think we're about to do some news. You want to hang around and, and, uh, chime in on the news with us? 
Sure. And now the news. All right, let's see here. Uh, I have my handy-dandy iPod today because my computer's at work. But uh, the first news uh, source I have, it comes from Relevant Magazine. Survey says that evangelicals are least likely to pay attention to the 2016 election. Contrary to what watching the news might lead you to think, a new survey by the Barna Group says that evangelical church uh, evangelical Christians are the least likely to pay attention to the 2016 election. Though the 2016 election has brought record-breaking numbers of televised debates, campaign rallies, a surprisingly low number of voters reported that they were closely following the primaries process through the beginning of February when uh, the survey was conducted. So uh, have you been watching the uh, the debates, uh, Brian? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And I tell you, this is the most discouraging year of my entire life. We have, you know... We're going to have the choice between a fascist clown and a female Hitler. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's, what choice is that? I choose Canada. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, I, I totally agree uh, 100%. And it's really scary to me, you know. But it's amazing the, the, uh, the backing that Trump has garnered from... Yeah. from Americans. It's something that I never thought we'd see, but man, yeah, it's crazy that just the, <clears throat> the ignorance. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy. So I'm, I'm just leaning on faith, you know, God's, God's got this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. It might, it might lead to what Americans would consider bad places, but that might be what uh, we need to wake up a little bit as Christians. I don't know. Right. And hey, who knows? End times, right? <laughs> <laughs> or if you're post-millennial, then you, you basically what you have to conclude is, well, you know, it, it does have to, a lot of times good civilizations come out of the ruins of, of, of the bad. So maybe That's we true. do have to become ruined before we can get better because it just seems like you know, it, everything just goes down the toilet, you know, there's no way, there's no stopping it, you know, but, but that's what happened when, when America got made, right? Everything was going down the toilet in England, all freedoms, everything. And they came over to America to start, a, you know, the Puritans, you know, starting a whole new world based more on biblical principles and all that. But it seems like every culture ultimately rises and falls. And, and sadly, I think, I honestly think we're probably at the end of the American uh, empire, or not empire, but you know, yeah, right. yeah. Yep, I'm watching Rome burning out my window, man. It's crazy. Yeah. So, all right, uh, on the on the piggyback of that, uh, still talking about political news, Georgia governor vetoes the state controversial uh, religious liberty bill. Did you hear about this? No. Oh, it's crazy. Okay, so Georgia governor uh, Nathaniel Deal has vetoed a controversial religious liberty bill that would have allowed religious groups to deny jobs and refuse service to members of the LGBT community. In a statement to reporters, he said, I don't think we have to discriminate against anyone to profit the faith-based community in Georgia, of which I and my family have been a part of all of our lives. However, shortly after the governor's announcement to plan uh, uh, of the plan to veto, one of the legislators who supported the measure called for lawmakers to hold a special session and try to override it, though it remains unclear if there will be enough votes to do so. So, David, what do you think? Should uh, the governor veto this bill? Should uh, I don't think that's the type of thing that needs to be governed one way or the other. 
Amen. <laughs> I'm probably right there as well. Stay out of my life, government. I don't... <laughs> all right, Ron Here, here's Swanson. My summary. Here's my summary. My summary of, of, of all of it is we should not discriminate against anyone except Christians. Amen. <laughs> Whoa, we should not say that we should not discriminate. That's what they're saying, against, in other words. Okay. <laughs> that's, what this, that's what our culture is doing. Wait. We shouldn't discriminate against anyone except Christians. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, it really is exactly what our culture is saying, and it, it creates this whole anti-Christian rhetoric. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, all right, a uh, little fun one. Chris Pat, uh, Chris Pratt, you know who Chris Pratt is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, built a gigantic cross on Easter. Sound fun? He, uh, he built a gigantic cross. He did. Some people uh, like to dye eggs on Easter. Some, like Chris Pratt, like to build gigantic crosses in the desert with his friends. On Instagram, the actor posts a step-by-step Crucifix of the galaxy. That's right. <laughs> How to erect a gigantic cross. The photos show Pratt and two friends carrying the uh, huge steel cross up a hill, digging a hole and cementing it in the ground. The action and comedy star has been outspoken about his faith in the past. Over Christmas, he visited a children's hospital with Russell Wilson and uh, Kiera. I don't know who that is. Writing on Instagram, say a prayer for those kids who don't get to be home for Christmas. So pretty cool, Chris Pratt, yeah, building a cool. gigantic cross on on Easter. And, uh, of course, uh, as well on Easter, we had the the terrible, uh, the bombing in Pakistan. I don't know if you've, you heard about that one either. Brian, did you hear about the Pakistani bombing? Yeah. Ugh, it was crazy. Okay, um, right now they've actually detained 5,000 people um, 5,000 suspects Pakistan has following the deadly Easter Sunday bombings. Uh, while most of the suspects have been released and uh, investigators keep uh, kept 216 in custody pending further investigation. Um, so basically what was happening was in Pakistani, they were having an Easter celebration worshiping Christ. And uh, there was there was a, a two bombs let off, two suicide bombers. Um, and so it was a... a a terrible thing. I, I don't remember how many people died in that, hmm. but it was a it was a Taliban uh, thing. Uh, splinter group of the Pakistani Taliban was was responsible for it. So keep our Pakistani brothers and sisters in prayer. You know what it made me think? It made me think I don't have to worry at all about waking up on Easter Sunday and going to my church and worshiping uh, my Lord and Savior over here and having a fear of a suicide bomber walking well, in and blowing everybody up. And, you know, um, I just finished another book um, called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. Um, it's, and it's all about persecution is what it's about. And it will definitely bring that type of thing into the forefront of your thinking. Like, th- that, that whole book is about... Um, he begins the book working in Somalia and seeing crazy Christian persecution and to such a point to where he wants to quit. And he's like, God, why would you allow your people to go through this type of thing? But by the end of the book, you're asking the question, why are we not going through persecution? Uh, And it comes back to, you know, are we doing what, are we actually making disciples? Are we actually spreading God's word? And that, you know, it's just a really convicting, um, and it uses this type of... Sure. 
persecution. I, I've said before, I'll say again, my, the most influential <clears throat> sermon I've ever listened to by John Piper was doing mission when dying is gain. And the whole point of that was if you are doing mission then on mission, if you're really doing what God's called you to do, then more likely than not, you're going to be persecuted for it. And yeah. it's a call to suffer. And so it's pretty interesting. You know, we're, we're very cushy. We're very blessed here in America. And uh, you know, and I'm well, blessed or cursed with with wealth, and so I don't know how long that's going to last. But man, um, well, it's and it really is both because, uh, like, one of the things that he does bring out in the book is that we, even though we we have this freedom that sometimes can be a curse to us, at the same time we have great blessings in in terms of resources that we can use. The question is, are we actually using them? You know, or are we taking them for granted, or are mm. we, you know, so wow. But uh, going back to the Chris Pratt thing, yeah, um, th- that makes me think, Brian, with you working in Hollywood in your past, how prevalent would you say this type of thing is? I always have a view of Hollywood as just being completely anti-Christian, but then you keep hearing these stories about these actors and writers and. And this like sort of Bieber thing. right now. I don't know. He's not an actor, but you hear about his Christian stuff <laughs> yeah. all over the place right now. Well, yeah, but he's he's going the way of Lindsay Lohan, so you know. <laughs> but but you know what? I gotta say, basically, I, what I would say following the Chris Pratt event, uh, this marks the beginning of the end of Chris Pratt's uh, Hollywood acting career. Wow. Uh, you know what? You're right. There, it's not a Hollywood is not monolithic. But it is dominated by anti-Christian attitudes. Like, for instance, you know, I, I work with a few people here and there, but I mean, I know myself as well as many others who have lost work simply because someone found out we were Christians or, um, or worse, conservatives or Republicans. <laughs> no, I, I really, I mean, yeah, like I it's, it's almost worse to be a Republican or a conservative, but certainly there is a general anti-Christian, anti-conservative it really is there, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. There are, you know, obviously guys like Gary Sinise and, and, and John Voigt can stand up, but usually have to be really powerful already. But even then, they start to get used less. Yeah. Because, wow. because that they, you know, it's like they won't get as many calls. You know? Yeah, they're and, old and crazy or whatever. That's how. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, it would be amazing to me. So this would actually be really interesting to watch Chris Pratt because, dude, he's hot right now, you know? Yeah. Started yeah. started with, uh, what was it, Parks and Rec, and he's moved on from that and just been become like Jurassic one of the... Jurassic World. Yeah, yeah, Jurassic World, and then Guardian, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is yeah, Guardians, huge, man. too. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what... And there's a sequel to that. Yeah, that's, coming out yeah, pretty quick. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely something to look out to and look out for and, and see. So, got one more thing. It's pretty... To me, it's funny, but... Okay, so you know who the drug lord El Capo is, right? You've heard of him? He's like the most famous drug lord of all time. Okay. This well, guy. Okay. I have. He's trafficked. Brian, have you ever heard of El Capo? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, this, okay, so this guy's trafficked more drugs than anything. He's like the boss of the boss. He's like, okay, he's he is Scarface, all right? <laughs> That's who he is. Anyways. Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. So the man long considered to be the most powerful drug uh, trafficker in the world is reading Rick Warren's Perfect. Purpose-driven purpose driven life. life right now. 
wow. in prison. Apparently, following his most recent arrest uh, and being denied a TV, El Capo has taken a reading for entertainment, which, good for him. <laughs> Since his recapture in January, uh, Guzman uh, has uh, impressively finished um, Don Quixote, and uh, he's moved on to the faith-based book by Rick Warren, The Purpose-Driven Life. So we'll see what happens, but... That's uh, wow. He hasn't, you know, become a Christian or anything. But I just have a picture of Scarface in there going, "The reason for your life is God." (laughs) 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 So, anyway, so that's all I got today. I don't even have uh, today in church history because I don't have my computer today. But next week, all right, right. next week. So, all right. Well, Brian, thanks for being here. We really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, guys. It was awesome to have you, Brian. Look for the book, The Dragon King. Yeah, and we, and we'll be definitely hitting you up later whenever you're working on these new uh, these new books. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> All right. Bye All right. Cool. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Hey, thank you, David. All right. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At This is your great commission transmission. Hot dog, wouldn't you know it? I forgot something.